0: You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Craig Cabanus. All right. Well, good morning. Um, If I haven't had an opportunity to meet you, uh, I'd love to meet you tonight at Coffee with the Pastors. But um, I'd introduce myself now. My name is Craig. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm tasked with uh, carrying the primary. Uh, though not exclusive uh, by any means, responsibility for preaching on Sunday morning. And uh, it's great to have you here with us. We are in a series on the fascinating book of Jonah. And we've got a few more weeks in Jonah uh, before we wrap it up. We're calling the series Surprising Mercy, Discovering God's Compassion for those far from him. And that really has been the emphasis of what we have done, discovering God's compassion. So it has not been a series where every week I've given like five things to do um, in terms of a homework assignment other than pray and things like that. This has really been a series geared towards um, having a right expectation, setting right our expectation of God's mercy to those that, we might not show mercy to in our own self-righteousness, uh, in understanding God's mercy to us in our own failures. It's really an attempt to have a shift of our perspective uh, to more daily live in the good of the fact that God is a merciful God who, who delights to show mercy to people. And if we believe that, that affects how we relate to others, Um, It it affects how we pray for others, it affects how we love others, Uh, all this kind of reality. So it's really seeking to be, as we enter a year talking about public faith, it's seeking to be something that molds our heart and mind and vision uh, so that we uh, act accordingly to that truth. Well, the story so far has been that uh, Jonah is a prophet. God gives him a calling, a responsibility to go and preach to people in a city called Nineveh. Uh, they 're in an enemy country, an enemy land and he he wants Jonah to go warn them that judgment is coming to them and uh Jonah wants nothing to do with this assignment. He refuses because he knows that if he does this and the people respond, God will show mercy to them. And he doesn't believe they deserve mercy. They are a cruel people. Uh, They're an aggressive nation. They are arguably as wicked as nations go. They are as wicked as any uh, in the uh, in the time when this is written in 7th century B- BC or the time of this occurrence. Uh, so, he wants nothing to do with it. He runs away from God. He gets on a boat. God sends a storm. The sailors on board realize that the storm is sort of chasing, um, it's God's means of chasing after um, or disciplining Jonah. And so they throw him overboard and he is swallowed by a fish where he is, a great fish where he is held safe for three days. He sort of comes to his senses and he turns to the Lord. And this is what we see happens in chapter 3. So today we'll cover chapter 3. But let's read the last verse of chapter 2, verse actually, the last two verses of uh, chapter 2. So 2 9. This is God's word. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. The Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I will tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their, their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. In this chapter, we see God uh, unleashing his mercy um, there is an a, a unrestrained mercy that he extends to people in this chapter, um, and that's why we're calling this sermon, Mercy Unleashed. First of all, we see mercy unleashed on Jonah. It, it's easy just to read over chapter 3, verse 1, um, but it's really quite a statement if you've read the previous two chapters. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second, time, and, and what he says to Jonah is exactly what he said the first time, if you look back at, or very close to what he said the first time, if you look back to chapter 1, verse 1, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, what did he say to him? Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Here he says, verse 2, chapter 3, verse 2, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. He, he calls to him, the text says a second time, and he calls to him with the same words, the same commissioning, the same responsibility. And the point is that he is giving Jonah a second chance. Jonah has blown it terribly on the first chance. It would be, it would be hard to imagine how a prophet of God could blow it worse than saying, I am fleeing from the presence of God an absurd idea to begin with but i am going to run in disobedience but even after his disobedience god wants to use jonah i mean this is this is an incredible reality there's no scolding there is no probationary period before he is able to Go back and fulfill what God wants him to do. There's no sense of Jonah, you must prove yourself worthy of being a messenger for me. God simply calls him again to the same task that he so miserably failed at before. God's mercy is relentless. This is mercy to Jonah, mercy unleashed on Jonah. Often it is the very area that we feel that we have let God down that he pursues us and puts us back in the game. Often this is the case. God will reach the Ninevites. God is sovereign. He can do whatever he wants to reach the Ninevites. God will reach the Ninevites, but God is doing more than reaching the Ninevites. The story is about more than God's mercy on the Ninevites because he desires to reach the Ninevites, but he as well is reaching Jonah. This is how grace works. God is at work when we fail. This is something that we, we must grasp if we're to be any, of any use in the kingdom of God because we all fail and God's mercy to us when we fail is on display here God is committed to teaching us in our failures God is committed to using us in our uh, in our failures God is committed to changing us and transforming us for his purpose and for his glory God doesn't need Jonah to reach the Ninevites but God loves Jonah and shows mercy to Jonah and gives Jonah a second chance he doesn't grace doesn't give up mercy doesn't give up that is not the character of God now when Jonah does step in to Nineveh i mean his performance is mediocre at best and the way the whole book ends it's 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 not even mediocre it's sad completely sad, but he chooses to work through him anyway. He gives him this second chance. And it says, I love this, Jonah, the second time, uh, arise and go to Nineveh, verse 2, call out against against it, the message I will tell you, verse 3, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. He here responds immediately. Before, he responded by fleeing from God. Here, he runs into the purposes of God. He was running away before, and now he runs in. And there is this restoration after all he's gone through in the boat and in the ship and in the pagan sailors telling him to call out to his God, which he apparently doesn't do, and the pagan sailors throwing him overboard to drown, and yet he is rescued by the fish. I mean, there's so much drama. Disobedience creates so much drama in life. And he has, he's gone through so much unnecessary drama. I mean, there's drama in life without disobedience. But with disobedience, it's just, the scripture says, the way of the sinner is hard. And that's just the case. But, but, the, but God doesn't give up. He gives him a second chance. God meets failure with mercy. And that is a message for every one of us in the room. Please know this. I mean, here's the reality. There are so many Christians, and you may be one of them. So many Christians that go inactive because of failure. Like on injured, you know, the NFL starting, and there'll be guys on injured reserve. They're out of the game because they're hurt. And there's so many Christians that respond the same way that they're out of the game, they're on the sidelines. You know, maybe you, you've experienced that sort of thing. Maybe you were in a church that failed you in some way. That's your perspective. They failed. Maybe they did. They failed you in some way. Or maybe you've been in a couple of church situations that were disastrous. They've failed you in some way, and there's some kind of failure that's just caused you to choose to be on the sideline. Maybe it was really a big deal for you to even be here today. And I want you to know that God's mercy meets the church and meets us In our failure, maybe you have failed the church in some way. Maybe there was a day when, like Jonah, you were being used by God in a powerful way, but something happened in your life and things didn't go as you planned. And there's a failure in your life, or maybe maybe you failed in some area of your life, and and things didn't work out, and you've gotten mad at God, and you've drifted, even run, just like Jonah did. God meets failure with mercy. God doesn't let us drift. Mercy chases us down. God calls us again to get back in the game, to to get back into serving him and serving his purposes in all the places that he's placed us, in our home, in our family, in our neighborhood, in our workplace, and, and yes, in our church. God calls us to play the part that he's called us to play and, uh, and and he he puts us back in. God's the perfect heavenly Father, and he he restores us when we fall. I've as a dad, my kids are all grown, but I've had the opportunity to, you know, sort of teach four children to ride a bicycle, and I can't remember if I fully taught or just contributed to the teaching of one of my grandchildren the only one who's old enough to ride a bike. But anyway, so I've had that experience and maybe you have too where, you know, the training wheels finally come off and, you know, you're running behind them, or at least that's how I did it. Uh, I'm sure there's an app that teaches folks now. But in my day, in my day, you ran. And so you run behind them and then you let them go and they're going to fall. I mean, nobody is never going to fall and they're going to fall. But you know what happens with some kids is they fall down and they sort of get up and kick the bike. I hate the bike. I never want to ride the bike again. Maybe you had one of those kids where it's like, ah, oh, that bike hurt me. I don't, I don't need to ride a bike. I don't want to ride a bike. I hate the bike. It's the bike, you know, and you have to love them, hold them while they cry, and encourage them and set them back up and assure them that you're with them the whole way, and you're going to run alongside them, you know, maybe, maybe not let go until they say they're ready, whatever. But, but you're going to be the father who picks the kid back up and gets them back headed the direction they should be headed. And I, I think that's just every illustration breaks down. Certainly that one does. But I think there's, that's a picture of how God relates with us. When we fall and when we're angry and when we're blame shifting, um, you know, why'd you let me go? You know, I fell. Why'd you let me go? When we're doing all that, God holds us and puts us back on, unleashes his mercy and restores us and says, I've got a purpose for you. Get back to doing what I've called you to do. But I failed. Of course you failed. Everybody but Jesus failed. And God shows mercy to us through Christ. Someone here needs this today. There's maybe numbers of us, but there's some of us who have been on the sidelines. And the Lord is calling you to make a decision. Are you going to define your purposes by your failure or by the mercy of God? Are you going to live your life in light of someone who let you down or how you let yourself down or how God let you down? Are you going to live your life according to the mercy of God who restores and has great purposes for every one of us in the room? mercy is unleashed on Jonah. Well, then of course, the big point of the whole story that we've been tracking is finally he's there and mercy is unleashed on Nineveh. And three things happen. God's mercy in this section, there's three things that happen. God speaks, uh, Nineveh repents, and then God relents. So first of all, God speaks um, through Jonah. Uh, Verse 3, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. I want to point out something that's in the footnote uh, of the ESV translation that has really affected me as I consider this passage. It says that, Jonah rose to the scene. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, and in the ESV, there's a note there. And if you read the note in your Bible, it tells you what the Hebrew literally says. They've chosen to translate it that Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, but they're letting you know the literal Hebrew is a great city to God. Now, when, when you just read it in the first, you go, is it a great city because of its size, a three-day's journey in breadth? Well, there's a note on three-day's journey in breadth as well, and it tells you that can be translated different ways. It could mean that it took a three-day journey to get there. Some commentators say there's no way it took three days to walk across it. Uh, the city walls, or some of the walls, have been discovered, so it's really not a three-day straight walk across. But for Jonah, if he was preaching for three days, it could have taken that long, or the text could mean it took three days to get there. So there's some questions about this and the size of the city and what that means. But the text literally says, a great city to God. What's at work here is that the people of Nineveh matter to God. It's a great city by its power. It's a great city on a world scale. It's a great city by its population. and Perhaps it's even a great city by its size. But what's really happening in the story is it's a great city to God. That people that hate God, people that are rebelling against God, people that are harming other humans with great violence and cruelty, people that are dominated by power and selfishness and arrogance and pride matter to God. That, that is a very powerful point, that this city matters to God. If this city didn't matter to God, he would give no warning. He'd just blow them up. He would be just to do that. The just and holy God would be just, just to destroy Nineveh for what they've done. To destroy you, to destroy me. He is holy and we are not. But the city matters to God. And so the warning that God sends comes with compassion. It's motivated by compassion. And there is a coming judgment for every one of us. And and we must communicate that to be faithful. Uh, recently, on the podcast we do answering questions, someone sent in a question and said, all this mercy, 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 is there anything about judgment? You know, what do you think about judgment? Absolutely, judgment is coming. I don't think it's the primary message throughout this whole book, but it is a central message in the book that judgment is coming to Nineveh and judgment is coming to us. But when we announce judgment, when we communicate the, the, the fear, even the terror of the wrath of God. We must do so as those who understand that people matter to God, and they must matter to us. We don't announce judgment with glee. We don't announce judgment flippantly. Someone has said, don't ever preach or witness, you wouldn't have to be a preacher, don't ever preach or witness about hell without tears in your eyes. God wants Nineveh to be warned because that city matters to God. That's the motive. That's the motive. And Jonah goes to Nineveh, and, well, here's the summary that the author gives of his sermon. Again, Jonah gets up and goes, but Jonah hasn't fully arrived, I don't think, the text shows. Jonah began to go into the city, verse 4, going a day's journey. He called out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Okay, that was his sermon, and did he say more? Well, he probably did say more. Matter of fact, I'm confident he said more, because it says, verse 5, and the people of Nineveh believed God. Okay, so in in the summary of his sermon, he doesn't mention God, uh, which... If you are looking for a church, that's one thing you want to look for. Did they mention God? That's pretty important as you go through your checklist. Um, Did they mention God? Well, he doesn't mention God in the summary statement of his sermon that we get. But we know he mentioned God because they believe God. And how could you believe this God if you don't know anything about him at all? I think this terse summary of his preaching is terse and given to us like this to make a point. And the point is that Jonah does deliver a message from God, but it doesn't sound like the message of a man who is broken for the plight of Nineveh. It doesn't sound like the message of a man who is broken for people under God's judgment. It doesn't sound like a man who is grieving over what will happen to these if they continue in their wicked ways. He doesn't appear to have God's heart of compassion, and we'll see that when we get in chapter four, because when they repent, he's mad. So we know he didn't have the God He may have been saying the words, but evidently he never got to the place where he was fully motivated by God's heart. Yet God, this is another point that's encouraging. God works through a very imperfect spokesman. I love that. God works. God speaks. It says they believed God. Well, it's just Jonah giving a message, but they hear it as a message from God, that when a true message from God comes forth, and for us, that's right here, this is the message of God, the Scripture, when a true message, when the Scripture is truthfully spoken and accurately explained, what happens is people hear God. And when these people hear God, they respond, which is just amazing. Uh, it's delivered by a weak and a selfish, arguably a hard-hearted prophet who's going to be mad when they respond, but even so, God speaks to them. And it is hard to overstate. This is I want to camp here just a second because this is amazing. It's hard to overstate what happens when they all respond. The people repent, they put on sackcloth and ashes, they fast, and then the king requires everybody in the in the city to do it. So, it's amazing because it's arguably the sorriest recorded sermon from any Old Testament prophet. You will not find any Old Testament prophet in the entire Bible that preaches a sermon like this. And yet, there's no response in all the Bible like this. Mind you, including the ministry of Jesus, people run from Christ when he speaks often. They follow him a little while and they go off, they don't listen, they hate him which isn't a comment on the power of Jesus, just comment on the hardness of those people's heart. But there's no place, even when the Old Testament prophets preach in Israel, they don't have situations where everybody responds like this. So it's a sorry message. I guess it's, it's accurate. It's, it's certainly accurate. But it doesn't appear to be a well-developed message from a broken prophet. And yet, there's unprecedented repentance The entire city believes god that's because the power is in the word and in this situation the people are broken and respond the people turn it's not a compelling sermon it's not a compelling prophet necessarily that turns nineveh it's a merciful god and that's what the lord wants us to see here he's merciful to nineveh he's merciful to jonah He's merciful to you, he's merciful to me, he's merciful to your neighbor and your co-worker, your son and daughter, your father and mother, your brother and sister, your fellow church member. He is merciful. Ian Duguid, in commenting on this very passage, writes in his book on Jonah, when God uses us in spite of our terrible attitudes and our uncaring selfishness, what can we say except salvation belongs to the Lord? If God is waiting for the perfect vessel The perfectly motivated person with the perfect answers to reach the world, then everybody's condemned. Because that person, you're not that person, I'm not that person. Jesus was that person and died for us and we have his word to share. Well, the people repent. So God speaks, the people repent. Uh, There's traditional signs of repentance here. They fast and they put on sackcloth. Um, to represent humbling themselves before God. This is a sign of humility. It's a sign of recognizing when we don't eat. Uh, it's a sign of recognizing our need for God. Maybe many of you fasted, some of you fasted. We had a day of fasting Friday, and then we prayed together yesterday morning. Um, for th- we prayed for a number of things, much of which had to do with the Lord using us to be able to um, bring the gospel to others and for our church to be able to do so. But we are acknowledging our need for God. And it's notable here that it's universal. It says in verse 5, they believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. So it wasn't just the praying grandmas that got serious. And it wasn't just the religious folk. It was everybody. They all responded. And then it starts grassroots. The way it reads here, it starts grassroots but gets official Um, sort of an official endorsement. Verse 6, it reaches the king of Nineveh. The word reached the king. What word? Well, the word of the coming judgment. God's word reaches him. And uh, so he, uh, I love this language, he arose from his throne, verse 6, he removed his robe, he covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. So what does he do? A throne represents authority. He gets off of that. Acknowledging another authority. Uh, uh, his, his royal robes represent his position, his office. He takes that off and puts on the common, the, the poor clothing of sackcloth representing his humility. And instead of sitting on a throne, he sits in ashes on the ground. This is a humbling of himself recognizing there is one greater than I uh, who is bringing destruction if we don't repent that's what he says. It's such a big deal that even the animals get involved. Did you, did you catch that? That It's a bit, uh, we didn't ask your animals to fast on Friday during the day of church-wide fasting. But he says, uh, let, let, verse 8, let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. The Greek historian Herodotus, who lived about two centuries after this writing, um, he he comments that animals participated in corporate mourning that they participated that was not uncommon then so those of you who dress your doggies in sweaters now have precedent there is a verse I would also point out that it's in the context of repentance so if you do dress your doggie in a sweater you repent that's uh. <laughs> someone will be offended. I'm sorry if you're a guest. I, I love your doggy. <laughs> I just don't want to see him in December in a Santa suit, okay? That's just, uh, but I love your doggie. They humble themselves. Now, repentance is more than just being humble. J.I. Packer wrote, repentance is a change of mind issuing in a change of life. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of life. I, I love that. And so, that's what happens. What does the king say? Let everyone turn from his evil way, verse 8, and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger. So this is classic repentance. They believe God. They humble themselves in sorrow, sackcloth, and ashes. They cry, he says, cry out to God. They cry out to God, and then they at least temporarily change their ways, they cease their evil and cease from being violent. And what happens? God relents. Verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. What does this mean? A little bit of ink's been spilled on this one Was people debate Did God uh, relent? What does that mean? It doesn't help that the King James Version translates it repent. So God repented. So that's very confusing because Nineveh is repenting of evil. Uh, What's the perfect God of the universe repenting of? So repent tends to mean go from something bad to something good. That's not what's going on here. But the word is more like relent. So what does that mean? Is he changing his mind? Is it possible for God to have one plan, one sovereign plan, and then realize here's a better option, and I'm going to change from my original plan because this is a better plan? Does God work that way? Does God know what's coming? Does God just react like you and me? Maybe he's got a little bit more foresight, but he just reacts in real time to what's coming. That is not the picture of the God of the Bible. The picture of the God of the Bible knows the end of the matter from the beginning. Uh, The the, the God of the Bible, uh, Malachi 3, says he does not change. So God does have a plan and a way of working. And the relenting here is his plan. This is how God works. God shows mercy uh, to people that turn to him. So here's a verse that shows, let me read to you, Jeremiah 18. Jeremiah 18, verses 7 and 8. This shows God's character and how he works. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. So this isn't a surprise to God. God's not saying, oh, oh, no, they responded. Whoa! You think Jonah's surprised? am I ever surprised? What am I going to do? I guess I should relent. That's, that's not what the way God works. God beforehand says, my character is that I will relent. That, that, that is, that mercy comes if you look to me. I'm happy to show mercy. So this is God's plan. Jeremiah 18 shows God's plan from the beginning to show mercy to sinners who turn to him. The relenting points to God's mercy. The Assyrians, again, are a wicked nation, and God has been merciful to them. And that is what this story is ultimately about. God's mercy, God's grace, the mercy of God unleashed through his word to people who are far from him. The mercy of God, it's unleashed through his word as people hear it, his message, his truth, to people that are far from him. This book is about a second chance mercy. It's about a compassionate heart towards those who oppose him. And you know, God's mercy is not unleashed only on Jonah and only on Nineveh, but it's unleashed on you and on me as well as we turn to him. God's mercy is unleashed on us. That's the third idea that I'll close with. Unleashed on Jonah, unleashed on Nineveh, unleashed on us. God is is the God of second chances. Some of us are here today, and we are aware of our failures. Now, I could be very broad on that, but I'm going to be the most specific I can be in, ap- in applying this today, as close to this text. I think it would be fair to say, when we fail, God is merciful to us, um, and be very general and broad, which is absolutely true. But here, the failure is with regard to mission. The failure is with regard to, For us, we might say to the Great Commission, the calling that God gives each of us to communicate truth to those who don't know him, the calling to be salt and and light in the world, to shine the truth of Christ to others. And and I wonder if there's some of you here today that when it comes to these topics, you just feel like a failure. Two topics that can, increase, that can bring the most immediate sense of guilt for Christians is prayer and evangelism. Because nobody feels they pray enough or evangelize enough. Nobody feels that they fully are righteous in that area. We all are aware of our shortcomings. And if we are honest, we would say, most of us would say, we don't have God's heart of mercy towards those who are so radically different than we are. We open the whole series talking about what a polarized culture we live in. Us and them. And the us and them carries, it goes to all kinds of areas. I believe it applies to race, gender. There's us and there's them. But it applies to religion too. Us and them. Believers in Christ and all them who are far from him. We're tempted to this way of thinking, and we have to to be very careful about this and seek to embrace the Lord's heart. The reality is some of us, most of us maybe, don't really have the heart of mercy that we see in chapter 3 here. To those, toward those whose values, whose lifestyles, whose beliefs are polar opposite to us, just like Nineveh was to Israel. And the reality is the church has spent so much of its time, the evangelical church has spent so much time in a culture war which seeks to set us up primarily as an us and them in the culture. Everyone trying to harm us come at us I'm not naive I don't believe Jesus said you'll be persecuted I'm not naive to think that everybody is crazy about the church and just wants our best of course that's not the case but we we entrench ourselves in such a sense of them that that we that we end up having a hard heart towards those who are far from him and that's exactly what happens with Jonah and Nineveh we see people, we see those on the other side, pick, pick whoever they are, those on the other side as they're too far gone. I mean, we know intellectually that God could rescue them. God saved Paul. We read this text. God, you know, uh, turned Nineveh around. But, but the reality is we think, oh, not him, not her. And we all have our person or type of people that we view as far from god and you say that they're just never going to turn to him or or maybe you're the type of person where you say well that maybe that's not my primary failure i'm just so busy in my own thing that it doesn't even occur to me that all day every day i'm interacting with people that are under the judgment of god I, I, my life is so full. There's so much going on. I'm just trying to keep up. If I can just get through my to-do list, I mean, I, I can't be living with the burden. All the burdens I have in my own life, my own family, I cannot be living with the burden about all these people around me and what's going to happen to them when they die. Some of us are so busy with so many things that the heart of God which is mercy towards those who are far from him, we don't embrace that because we have so many other things we have a heart for. So many other things that we're busy about. So others of us you may think, Well, yeah, I think about it. I'm concerned about it, but you just haven't had the courage to mention Christ to your friend, to your coworker. the, the, The fear of rejection, if I'm honest, I would say, boy, the fear of rejection is greater than the fear of the Lord so often in my life. The fear of being thought of funny. We all have our failures. But here's the reality, if this story teaches anything, it's that God gives second chances, that God is merciful, that God pursues us, that he is patient and merciful with us. And when it comes to our calling and our mission to be light and darkness, that even if we've blown it, even if we've been a bad witness, even if we've been uncaring, even if we've lacked compassion, even if we've been consumed with our own stuff, all of that, God is the God of second chances. And God says, you know what? You may have fallen off the bike, and you may want to run the other direction, but God is going to get us right back on there. Maybe you've never gotten on the bike because of fear. God is going to help us mercifully meet us and enable us, enable us to be faithful witnesses where he's placed us. I believe that's the plan of God. It's the mercy of God. Listen, when it comes to mission, guilt is a really, really bad motivation. Like, I, I've got to tell you this. I've got to love you. I've got to reach you. I've got to befriend you. You know, because if I don't, I'm going to feel really bad. Especially if they start talking about this again on Sunday. I'm going to feel really bad. That is a terrible motivation. You know what a great motivation for witness and and care and friendship and ministry and compassion towards others is the mercy of God. That's the biblical motivation. God has had mercy on me, and God shows mercy to any sinner that turns to him. God is merciful. I, I want to have an overflowing heart of mercy to those who do not know Christ. If this study of Jonah does anything in the culture of our church and in our personal lives, if it does anything, I hope it will elevate our vision of God's mercy to the hardest of sinners, which was you and me, by the way. There really aren't degrees of dead. The Bible says you're spiritually dead or you're spiritually alive. The Bible kind of has two categories. We have a thousand gradations of dead. We've got all kinds of levels of dead for us. And at the bottom is those, there's the Ninevites, completely, absolutely dead, you know. But there's dead. You were dead. God brought you to life if you're a Christian. I I pray that God opens our eyes to see that from our point of view, the least likely people, God is calling them to himself. God wants to save the least likely, and he wants to do it through you and me and he wants to have mercy on us to use us and this should urge us to faith towards god prayer towards him um, confidence in his power to change us and to change others confidence in his word wow you can say i may not be a great witness you can do as well as jonah at least the what we got you can do as well as the summary in jonah you can do that well And God uses his word powerfully to save. May this urge us to prayer for him to reach specific people. Who is it in your life? What face comes to mind that you say, that person's far from the Lord, but they're in my life. They're far from the Lord, but could be close to me or are close to me. Who is that person that you could trust God for, that you could pray for, that you could invite to Alpha coming up? Perfect opportunity that you could befriend and serve and reach out to and look for an opportunity to communicate the hope that is in you. God wants to transform our view of his mercy so that we are motivated by that mercy to share that mercy with people who need it and then to watch him restore people. I mean, what would happen if our whole church got a hold of that? I mean, if you could just imagine, what would happen? We're, you know, we're a small church in a city of our size, uh, in a population like Dallas-Fort Worth, we're, a, we're a, a small group of folks. But what if even a group our size were to really be gripped by this reality and were to begin to live this out more and more? Uh, our city would be turned upside down. If our churches, if we all grasped this, you know, telling what God would do, would he not show mercy to others? What might he do through me? and through us i love it that jonah's not held up as this amazing teacher you read and go i could never do that you look at him and go god can use anybody that's encouraging may his mercy meet us let's pray father we come to you today in jesus name and we recognize uh we recognize the hardness of our own hearts in so many ways. Some of us in the room have just sort of sat on the sidelines because we've been hurt or we've failed. someone's failed us or we've failed someone. And we, we thank you today that your mercy is greater than all of our failures. Your mercy is greater than what we've done, what we've failed to do, or what's been done to us. Your mercy is greater, we confess. And I pray that you would help us all, Lord you would help us all to be touched by your mercy, aware of what you've done for us, and give us a heart. Jesus said to look to the fields that are white for harvest, they're ready. Nineveh was ready. We were ready when you called us. And there's people all around us that are ready. Some are hard. Some will persecute. Some will, of course. But Lord, how many are ready as well? And we pray that you would give us a heart of mercy to reach out to love and to look for that opportunity to communicate the truth of the gospel Lord thank you for mercy and even right now some of us are afraid we that, that face came to mind and we're afraid to say afraid to engage them Lord thank you that there's mercy right now even in this moment to grant us confidence in you so would your mercy sustain us and lift us up we pray in Jesus name